Positive Spark Plug time, and I'm your host, Candace. And do I ever have an episode for you today? I have Joshua Lancaster as the special guest, and he lets us in on such a a story of self-love, self-growth, self-discovery, and it is phenomenal. He talks about how he managed to get on the FBI list, how he managed to overcome uh, the struggles of feeling like you are not enough, unworthy, and how he has developed such self-love and strength and is creating such powerful relationships within his life starting from that point and owning his story and I just can't wait for you guys to listen so let's get to it hi Joshua how are you I'm doing good how are you I am fantastic. I am very um, excited to have you on my podcast uh, for the little bit that uh, you have informed me about your your story. Um, it really is inspiring, and I'm excited to learn more about it because it seems like there's a lot of different ways that people can connect with you and really learn from you, and I believe that. Um, just, just like I said, a little bit that I did just kind of read about you. Um, there's a lot of value in your story that I think um, will hold a lot of people close and know that they're not alone. So uh, thank you for being a guest on my podcast and, and being willing to uh, share your story. Well, thank you for allowing me to be here. You know, I know that my stories are a little bit, my life's been a little crazy, so... You know, if I can help guide anybody in the right direction and let them know the way that I handle things, then hopefully they can learn from my mistakes. So that's kind of why I was excited to work with you. Well, I'm very, very excited. Um, my first question, um, I started this since, like, COVID started. Um, just to have some fun with my guests is, what are your three favorite emojis or three emojis that best you and why oh my goodness uh i'm not a big emoji person but the oh. ones that i use the ones that i use a lot is the shocked face the uh like kind of bowing the head and shaking the head a little bit and the smiley face those are my main three ones that i use oh i like it i like it i like it um so like you like you both kind of said um, you you kind of had quite a wild story, very very in depth, and have been through quite a bit of uh, scenarios. Um, I'll I'll just kind of name a little bit. Like I'm excited to learn a little bit more about how you got on the FBI list, <laughs> um, how you uh, were in a marriage. Um, you know, how you're finding love now, and there's just, there's just so much in here, I, I don't want to give it all away, but can you describe a little bit about who you are and, and about your story? Sure, so, um, my name is Joshua Lancaster, I'm 31, I, uh, grew up in Tennessee, I've always been in Tennessee, it's never going to change, probably, um, I'm, I'm gay, I was married to one man, 
Uh, marriage didn't quite work out the way I wanted it to. Um, got remarried. And recently, we haven't talked since then, I'm getting a second divorce now. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm dating someone new and, and kind of just living my life to the fullest. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much me. I run a podcast with my best friend. Uh, we do true crime. And I guess because of the whole FBI situation, that kind of led me down that road. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So let's dive a little bit more into that. Because when you said that you wound it up on the FBI list, I was just like, what? So can you tell me, like, the story behind that? That, that that's just wild. And yeah. like, what happened with it? So um, what had happened is I had met a, lo- a guy online when I was 14. Um, and, uh, well, we didn't meet online. We met at a football game. He was local, but friends had connected us online. So I guess you would say it was online in a way. Okay. Um, and I was tricked into thinking this person was, like, just now turning 18 when to find out they were in their 30s. Um. Yeah, so what ended up happening with that is uh, he took pictures of me and him when we were together, and they were on his computer, and when the FBI took his computer, they found my photos and all of my information. Um, so I ended up on an FBI list because of the fact they had found all that information. I got interviewed. He's in jail. He's never getting out. But, uh, yeah, he uh, had a bad habit of... Uh, letting out gay, uh, well, not gay porn, but, uh, um, like child porn. That was the big thing that he was into, and that's what he was trying to, like, he would take pictures of boys with their shirts off and stuff like that, so that was his whole thing, and that's how I ended up on the list, and I'm sure my photos are all over the FBI at this point, but. Wow, so when you, like, so when you were involved, uh, like, with him and, and hanging out with him, I mean, like, did you... You met him through a friend, correct? That's what I heard. Yeah. Um, did you notice, like, any of, like, those behaviors that, like, hey, this might be weird? Or was it, like, completely, like, a shock to you because you thought he was, you know, a different age than what he actually was? Well, there was a maturity level that was there, but everybody matures at different levels. So for me, I couldn't recognize it. There was that moment after when we were alone where, trigger warning, um, that he had raped me. Right before that happened, I knew I was in trouble. Like, I knew at that second that things were really about to go south. Um, but I had no way out. It, there was that slip of the switch instantly the moment it happened. So it was like, and then afterwards his demeanor completely changed. He took me home and I never spoke to him again. Um, and it wasn't my choice that I didn't speak to him again. He chose not to speak to me. So it was a very, very weird situation. Yeah, because I, I, I don't want to say most, but normally, like, when something like that happens and it happens once and they think that they can do it again, they, they you know, keep you around. So what was... What was that like for for you? Had you gone, have you had an experience with a man before, or was that your first, and and had that maybe led you to, like if you hadn't, had that maybe led you to, to 
thinking of your sexuality and and if you were into men? Well, um, I I had already at that point knew I was attracted to men. Like that was just okay. the guarantee. I knew I was into men. Um, I hadn't had any real sexual experience at that point. It was just more experimenting. Um, but nothing had been very deep because I was only fourteen. Um, so that was my first major experience, and it was very. It's taken. I'm thirty one now, and it's still. There are certain phrases or certain things that can happen that'll still trigger that during an activity um, where I have to pull back and go, okay, this isn't the same person. And, you know, a lot of people are just like, oh, well, trauma fades with time. Trauma gets blocked with time. It doesn't fade. It's still always going to be there, and anything can make it come back up in an instant. So, so let's, let's talk a little bit about that. So what the, the experiments happened, what was... And, he, you know, he decided not to talk to you, which is, kind of, like you said, it's a little bit bizarre because right. normally, if anything, it's the other way around. Um, did that play an effect on, on how you perceive the whole thing? Um, how you perceive yourself afterwards? Because, like you said, it's it's different. It was a different scenario. Like, did it right. play a different effect? Because... I don't, you already don't kind of feel enough and worthless, but that, did that add to it? Oh yeah, I mean, I thought I had done something wrong. That was the big thing about the whole thing is, I was like, you know, did I do something wrong? Did he not like me enough? Was I not, like, I knew I wasn't doing anything right, because he made that very clear. Um, and I knew I'd made him mad, but then afterwards I was like, okay, well, maybe next time I can be better, and maybe if he gave me a chance, I could be better, and a, a two years go by, and that sat with me. I, I still dated, I still tried to get out there, but there was always that question mark of what did I do wrong? Um, even though I was the victim, you know, and that's another thing we discuss on our podcast is we like to get the victim's names back, and that's what happened in this situation is I had no voice. I didn't tell anybody. The only reason my family found out is when the FBI showed up at my mom's work and was like, hey, we have to interview your son. So. Wow. So you, how long was that period between your parents and your family finding out to, um, like, yeah, like from when it happened to, like, the FBI coming to your house? It was about a year to two years. It was somewhere in between there. Um, and it was really like, so my mom worked in the ER, uh, as a nurse's assistant and they literally, her boss pulled her in the office and said, Hey, the FBI is here to talk to you about your son. And my mom freaked out, went in there, talked to him and they said they wanted to talk to me. So my mom called me to come home immediately. She was like, there's somebody, there's two people here. They have to talk to you. I'm not allowed to tell you what's going on. I just need you to come home. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll come home. So... I got there, and there are these two absolutely straight, tall, white guys in in suits just staring at me, and I'm like, what is this about? And they sat me down, and they really went in detail about how they had information that they needed to confirm with me, um, and they needed to know everything about Barry. And I was like, okay, so I start giving them all the information, and they're like, well, first of all, it's not his name. And I was like, okay. They're like, he's not 18, he's in his 30s. Like, it just was this, like, mind-blowing experience. 
Um, and then, of course, now my mother knows everything that happened. Um, and then they recorded everything so that they can use it in the trial. And it put him in prison for the pictures that he took and stuff like that, but they didn't go after him for my rape because in order to do that, I had to be in court to face him. And I mentally couldn't do it. I was like, I can't sit in court and have this conversation with this person who lied to me and did terrible things to me and made me question who I was. Um, but he did get put away for a long time because he had so much on his drive that they could put him away for life pretty much. So You're on mute. So a full year has gone by. That that must have been a crazy burden to be carrying it. Like heavy feelings to have had. Have you mentioned it to anybody else? Uh, anybody else? Have you like did you like kind of hint to anybody that something might have happened? Like you demeanor change, I was so focused on trying to see if there was a way to possibly get him back. Like, well, that like No, I kind of kept to myself. Um, I was so frustrated with what had happened. I couldn't really focus on telling people because I was so embarrassed because I thought I did something wrong. And I think that was the way that he manipulated me was because he used the fact that he knew that I wouldn't tell people because I was so embarrassed. Because afterwards, like on the way home, he's telling me how I'm a terrible person and that if I would have just done this better and all these other things. And like when I got out of the car, he told me he didn't want to be with me anymore because I wasn't good enough. And I think that was where his manipulation came in to keep me quiet. You're mute again, sweetie. All right, let's talk about that. Um, Dating is a powerful thing. So once that is came out, because the FBI has changed your house, how was that for you unfolding this story of your parents and, and your mom? Um, because it like to be held in silence. I like to make feel like you are alone. Well, my father had disowned me when I came out at 14. He was just like, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. Um, so he hasn't played a part in my life since then. Um, okay. now my mother, on the other hand, at the time she was very like, you're not gay. It's just face. You'll get over it. It was very much that. Um, and then after the situation had happened, we sat and talked and she still had a hard time coming to grips with it, but finally accepted it. And I think this trauma by itself made her go, if he's not open with me about everything, he could end up in this situation again and something bad could happen. Um, so I think that's where she kind of stepped back and went, okay, I need to 
realize that this is not going to change, and if I continue to push it to make it change, it's going to get worse. Um, now, we're perfect now. My mom is my best friend. She's been at both of my weddings, as bad as that sounds. Um, she's a gigantic part of my life. Uh, she recently had two strokes, and it was very difficult uh, to get through, but we've gotten through that. But, no, my mom is my best friend, and I love her to death. And uh, if it wasn't for her, I don't know how I would make it through all the things that I went through. Because my dad, like I said, disowned me. I only had her and my sister. Like, I don't have any other family. Um, so for their support at that time, and they've always kind of boosted my ego and said, hey, you know, you are good enough. You are amazing. You know, when both marriages fell apart and everything else, and I blamed myself for it because I still have, thanks to this situation, I always question if someone loves me or if someone cares. Um, and I, I'm getting better with Tom, but trauma stays forever. It doesn't go away. And I hate when people are just like, oh, you'll get over it. And it's like, no, you really don't because it sits forever, but it's your job to realize and bring yourself back down to earth to know that you're, you are worthy and you are worth it. So. So let's talk about the communication factors that obviously have crucial role in the development of you and your mom becoming best friends because we all the time we're coming to a generation where being open and being, you know, the office is not a normal thing, you know, it wasn't as people didn't speak of it. So to have that understanding, knowing that, you know, that person that is doing that, um, that must have, did that help you come from, like, what I'm trying to ask is, like, do you have an understanding of that perception of where he was coming from because of where he grew up and how, you know, being in the, it wasn't a normal thing, it wasn't what people talked about, it wasn't, you know, idolized, it wasn't what it is today. Um, did that help you with uh, communication with her and opening up about how uh, you are and, and how you love? Yeah, I mean, it was, I had to remind myself, even at the age of 14, that she grew up at a different time. She grew up yeah. totally different than we did. And I tell people all the time, like, so let's break this down a little bit. So the guy I'm dating now, he's very much about PDA. He's very much about cuddling in public and giving me kisses and stuff. And I tell him, I'm like, okay, I was raised to keep this stuff in the bedroom. Like, that's how my mom raised me, like when you kiss, you cuddle and stuff, you keep that in the bedroom. And that's where I kind of connected with my mom and I understood where she was coming from is because the way that she was raised is all of that is behind closed doors. You're not supposed to do that in public. Um, now, of course, I break that rule, but it was one of those things that I had to, I've learned to understand people and come to their level, you know. It makes people uncomfortable, and one, it shouldn't, but I understand it at the same time. Yes. Yes, 100%. Um, so, how did, how did that start to explore through the relationship? Did your mom just kind of need to say, just to people questions? Um, how, how did that, how did that relationship? 
Yeah, so the big thing was, um, oh, so there's a couple steps that we took. Um, one morning she came in my bedroom and she was like, hey, uh, can we talk for a second? And I said, of course. And she said, you know, I've been praying to God because she was very, very, very big Christian, Christian Southern lady. Um, she was like, you know, I pray to God and I've asked him to change you and he hasn't. And if he hasn't changed you, he's the only person who has the will to change you. Um, so that was her moment of acceptance. Um, and then there was an incident when I was, uh, 18, 19, where I had uh, attempted suicide. Um, and that was a very big uh, eye-opening experience for my mom to understand that I had deep depression. And some of it did come from the right. Um, and she did her best to help me through that. And we got through that. And that was very eye-opening. And then I think one of the biggest moments that really drew us together is I used to do drag years ago. Um okay. Yeah, uh, and I had invited her to come to the bar one weekend, and when she, I, I was like, she's going to hate it here, because she didn't support the drag. Like, she's like, I can deal with the gay, but the, the drag's a bit much. Um, and I had gotten on stage and performed a song, and as I got off stage, and I have the perfect picture, I'll send it to you later. Um, I got off stage, and my mom put her arm around me, and she was so proud, and she said, you are such a good entertainer, people will love to be around you. Um, and then, uh, and then she started making me stuff because she's a seamstress, and, yeah, so we got really, really close after that, even more so than we already were, but she's always just been, like, it's so funny to remember and look back at 14-year-old me and how she was just like, this isn't gonna happen, I'm not gonna do this, blah, 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 and then I have a video of her walking me down the aisle, so it's like oh. this giant transition that she went through, and it, it makes me love her more and more every single day. My mom is my biggest fan. She listens to my podcast. She Anything I say I want to do, she's like, you'll get it. You're fine. You've got this. So she's my number oh. one fan. Oh, so mama. I love yeah. that. That is so exciting. That, that is so beautiful. I, uh, um, wow. I want to I I go a little bit back to... Um, a topic that I think is a lot of people, so this might trigger some people. Um, but, uh, can you talk a little bit about, uh, the attempted suicide? Um, how was, how was that in your life? Because for some people it's different. It can be a short term, um, you know, a sudden event and it's just like really uncool or fast. Uh, people. Um, what was it like for you leading up to that point, and may I ask how that scenario went? Yeah, so there's technically three scenarios. Um, so the first one was when it was right after the rape. It was me trying to, I didn't, my mom didn't understand me. I couldn't tell anybody what I was going through. I was depressed. I didn't know what to do anymore. So I attempted to slice my wrist and I wasn't successful because I didn't know the proper way that you were supposed to do it. Thank God. Um, but I was so frustrated and my mom actually caught me in the act. Um, so she stopped me immediately and was like, 
you know, this is stupid, you know, this is a stupid idea, which don't ever tell somebody who is suicidal that what they're doing is stupid because that sets up a precedence where they hide it. And that's a big thing to never do. Um, the second suicide attempt was when I was going through a really bad relationship. Um, the guy I was dating wasn't out of the closet. He was like the perfect boyfriend, but he could never cross that line to understanding how gay men were. Um, so that was really hard. And on that one, my sister had just, it sounds crazy. Um, I should write a book at this point. My uh, sister had just went through chemo uh, and had almost died. So she oh, had all wow. these pills that were left over. Um, so I had taken a bunch of pills um, to try to commit suicide. But I had sent out suicide text messages to people. Um, and luckily, the they brought in, uh, the ambulance showed up. They gave me tons of charcoal. I was handcuffed to a bed for a couple of days. Um, and then they sent me home and I got a lot of therapy. And that's when I really started to grasp, uh, that suicide was never the answer. Um, and then about two years ago, I was in a, a marriage for eight years and everything in my marriage was a lie. Uh, I was told that my ex-husband had multiple sclerosis and he didn't. I was told that he was extremely sick when he wasn't. Um, I was lied to so much in that marriage and we had ended up in a triad with another person. Um, and he immediately was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be with you. And the guy said the same thing. Well, I didn't know how to survive. I had spent eight years with someone and he was throwing yeah. me away like garbage. Um, wow. and I was so depressed that I took, uh, uh, knife to my wrist and tried to slice my wrist but he came in there and stopped me because he knew what was going on and he likes to tell people well Josh tried to commit suicide because of the fact that we broke up with him no I didn't know how to survive I had put 8 years from the age of 21 to almost 30 in or 22 to 30 in one relationship like it was wow. one relationship so wow. for him to throw me out like garbage was the biggest slap in the face. And then, of course, after that's when I found out that he was never sick. He had not, nothing was wrong with him. He walked on a cane because he wanted attention. Um, and it's still, to this day, the biggest middle finger that I've ever gotten from someone. Um, we don't speak anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, because, no yeah there, was, there was a lot of situations after that. So we had already signed a lease to another place. So all three of us were living in one place, and we had no choice. Like, I had no choice. I had to okay, stay with him. Yeah. Um, and then I had met my soon-to-be ex-husband, um, and he moved in to help me out with the bills because they were screwing me over. Like, they were literally, they were like, oh, you'll pay a third of the bills. And I was like, you realize that you left me with every bill in my name. So you only have the small amount of bills, yet I have a third of the bills plus what you left me with that was in my name. Oh. So me and my soon-to-be ex-husband, uh, he moved in to help me out, and we helped each other out a lot, and we're still really close friends. Um, he's really, he's very, very sweet. Just the marriage, we rushed into it so fast, and I think it's because we were both looking for something that wasn't there yet, because um, we didn't really get to know each other, and so much stuff happened. I was dealing with my divorce, my mother had two strokes, 
he was going through a lot of medical stuff at the time. So I think we rushed so fast because we were on this, like, but the way my psychologist or my therapist told me was you were on a roller coaster of drama to the point that you couldn't connect. So you both lived off of that drama. But once everything calmed down, once everything got to a normalcy, you realized you weren't supposed to be together. Um, so we sat down a couple weeks back and said, you know, hey, this isn't working. You know, as much as I love you, we're not in love with each other. It's not working. And it was rocky at first, but we're still really close friends. I love him to death. I give him a hug every time he goes to work. You know, he's starting to date again. I, I'm dating someone. So it worked out for the best for both of us. And that's how I wanted my first marriage to end with that understanding and loving. Even though he lied to me, I still wanted that to work. But sadly, it just, it fell through and that's okay. But, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm living life to the fullest. This is the first time as an adult that I've really been single. Like me, I'm dating someone, but it's not like a commitment situation where it's like, oh, I have to take care of you. I have to make you dinner. I have to get up and do this. And like, it's super exciting to realize that I have a, my own personality that's pretty great. And it's time for me to do me. Um, yes. And that's what I'm doing right now is I'm going out with my friends and I'm spending time with my family and I'm dating someone that I would never think would date me. So like he's gorgeous and he's funny and he's a uh, former Navy. Like he's, he's everything that I would want to date, but wouldn't think that would be interested in me. Um, and we're talking like, you know, in a year, maybe moving in together or something like that. But I want to take this one slow and, get to know him instead of rushing because every relationship I was in, I rushed into, but it goes back to that rape. I mean, it all circles back to that because it's the, I have to hurry and do this. I have to make you happy because if I don't make you happy in this instant, you're going to walk away. Oh God, please don't leave me. And I've had to reverse that so much and stop myself and go, if he doesn't want to be with you now, if he's not going to be with you now, he's not going to be with you later. So calm down, take a breath and move forward. Yes, yes, yes. Let's talk about that mindset because there's there's two attempts and I wanna talk about the mindset within the sleep. So you had the first you had the first attempt. What what was your mindset within the second one? Was it just I'm gonna wait until there's another opportunity that I can try and do it again? Was there a little bit of an enlightenment? Was there just kind of like a, oh, he stopped me, let's try to forget about his newborn, and then it happened, and you like, just undoing it? What was that like, like the first time, and then the second time, instead, after the second time, it was more of, of a like, okay, wow. Um, but then there was the third time that happened, so I wanted, I wanted to dive a little bit more into your mindset, between the period, because that's what people, I think, will really connect with you a lot because there's a lot of transitioning and, and probably back and forth. So yeah. can you dive a little bit So between the first attempt and the second attempt, I think we froze again. Can you still hear me? Okay, there it goes. All right. <laughs> can you hear me now? Okay, perfect. Okay. 
So between the first attempt and the second attempt, my mindset at that time was... After the first attempt, my mom accepted me, and from then on out, I was like, oh, I'm never going to be suicidal again. I don't need to get therapy. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then when he was making all these decisions for me, I slid back into that place again. I'm like, why are you in control of everything? Like, why do you get to decide that the relationship's not working? Why do you get to decide that I'm not good enough for you? Like, why is that okay? Um, and then I had attempted that suicide because I thought that I was never going to be good enough. Um, and then with my, uh, right after that su suicide attempt, the flood of love and caring from all my friends at the time, they were like, you realize that you took away, you tried to take away my best friend. Like you tried to take away my best friend and that's not fair. Like you don't get to make that decision. Um, and it was that mindset that really woke me up and said, oh my God, you're 100% correct. Like, that's not fair to you. Like, suicide is so selfish on so many levels that I had to figure out that there were so many people that depended on me and needed me and loved me. Um, so I wanted to get help, and I went and I got help. Um, and then I got help for a little while, and then I turned to the age where if I wasn't in college, I couldn't be covered under my mom's insurance. Um, so I wasn't able to get therapy anymore like I needed. Um, and I 100% I believe that the government should pay for therapy. Like, I don't think it should be something you pay out of pocket. Um, I think that therapy should be something that the government covers 100% because, because I was removed from that situation. And I was placed into, okay, well, you can't have therapy anymore, sorry, to me literally just having to cope on my own. And then what I did to cope on my own is I jumped into a relationship with someone that I thought loved me and thought cared about me. So I based my entire life on them. So right before that third suicide, when he took that away, I had nothing to live for in my mind. I was wrong. I had so much. I had a great job that I still have. I have family and friends and people that enjoy my time. And I was not thinking about anybody else but myself. And so I thought, if I just take myself out of the picture, it'll teach those two a lesson, which was a terrible thought process. It will make people realize that he is the person that I've been saying he was. Because he was so manipulative that people saw him as a victim, and I looked like the bad guy most of the time. Um, and it was a lot of me going, well, if my marriage failed, I'm not going to be a good person anymore. You know, the guy with multiple sclerosis dumped me because I wasn't good enough because I had mental disorders. And he couldn't handle the fact that I had depression and stuff like that. He just couldn't handle it. But I had someone come into our relationship that was taking my husband away from me. And made sure that I knew that. Like, they made sure that I knew that he was going to end up taking my spot. And it mentally drove me insane to the point that I snapped and I lost my cool on him. And then they said, well, you've got too many depression problems. And it's like, isn't that what marriage is supposed to be, where we go through sickness and health? Like, I've been with your sickness for all this time, but you can't work with me? Like, it was one of those situations. But uh, after the third attempt... um. I sat down and reevaluated again. I remembered my therapy tactics uh, that I'd used before, and then I started doing therapy again because I could afford to do it again. 
Um, and I sat with a therapist and I said, hey, you know, this is what's going on in my life. And she was like, you should write a book. And it was really funny just for her to be like, wow, there's a lot going on. Let's unpack everything. Um, and I've been going through that therapy slowly uh, throughout the last year. And then due to COVID, you know, everything had to be done over the phone, which was fine. It was the same thing for me. Um, and then when I realized that this marriage wasn't working out, I went to that spot again where I was like, this marriage is ending. I'm a bad person. I, you know, I want to escape. I don't want to be here anymore. And then I looked at myself in the mirror and said, no, 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 we're not doing this again. We've done this three times. We have to be better this time. We have to do better. So I sat down and I went through like my contact list and I'm like, this person would miss me. Oh my God, this person would miss me. I wouldn't, my podcast uh, co-host wouldn't have me around anymore. My mother, what would she do? I'm the one that takes care of the bills. I'm the one that takes care of her, you know? So I had to evaluate all of those things and it made me go, I need to end this marriage because if I don't, I'm going to destroy myself again. And I can't do that again. I have to do, I have to be selfish and take care of myself this time. And that's what I did. And luckily he was so understanding because he knows I have bad depression. Um, and there's no lack of love there, but his support after the breakup has been so loving and caring that it's made it easier. And I don't have those thought processes anymore. And I always say, talk to people, even if you think someone doesn't want to hear you, you think, Oh, nobody wants to hear about my trouble. No, they do. They deep down do. They may have a lot going on, but people want to know what's going on with you because they do love you. So that's my biggest thing. I like how the one thing that you you brought up um the person mentioning is that like you can't make that choice for me. It kind of like it just has this split because you're like, wow, I was doing what we're kind of doing with me. He was making a choice for me and it didn't feel good. I think it's obviously a different scenario, but it was like that kind of helped me resonate with like, oh, yeah, I can't, I can't be making that big of a decision for people because it does affect them in such a, a powerful way. Um, and I love that you use that tactic going back to your phone, you know, when you are going to times of like, you know, a little bit of sour on yourself, like, you know, people know that people are in need of abuse, like, So I would say that moment happened when I was about 
I would say I was about 20. I was about 20, 21. Um, I had just gotten my GED, um, because I dropped out of school due to being picked on because I was gay. Um, I got my GED and I went to Paul Mitchell because I wanted to do hair. That was the one thing I really wanted to do. Um, so, yeah, so I really wanted to do hair, even though it doesn't look like it right now. Um, so I decided that that's what I wanted to do. That was my goal. Um, and I set up that goal and I started being really good at doing hair and getting the compliments of, wow, you're really good at doing this from someone that's literally sitting in my chair for less than 20 minutes. Um, and another thing I learned about, uh, the biggest thing about self-love for me is knowing that I have a choice. Like, my choice is the biggest one. Um, like, doing drag, that was a big part of it, is I got to choose to do female impersonation. I got to choose to be the character that I wanted to be and express who I was. And for people to see that side of me and be like, oh, yeah, you're amazing. Oh, we love you was me really opening that door and seeing that I am a good person. I'm not this terrible grunge monster that I think I've become over all these years because I have a very sharp tongue and I have to learn to personally pull that back. Um, And because of that, that makes me feel like people don't love me because I'm so honest that I don't realize that there should be a filter there. Like, nobody needs pure cocoa bean coffee. Like, you have to have <laughs> Like, and that's that's one of, something one of my friends says. You are, like, drinking the strongest cup of coffee. But as long as you put a little sugar in your bowl, you're fine. Like, but you are very hard to take if you don't know that. I come from a 100% place of love. I take care of everybody around me. I will go in debt. I will go mentally unstable to make sure everybody around me is happy. But I've recently learned from literally watching my mom learn to walk again after her strokes. That was one of the biggest self-love moments is I was like, if this woman can survive two strokes and get up and walk and do things, then I need to love myself more because I deserve to be loved more. I deserve to have the perfect boyfriend or the perfect husband or the perfect friendship. I deserve that stuff because I put so much into the world. I deserve to now get that back. I thought for years I, I didn't deserve to get that. But now I realize that I deserve to have everything I want. And if I don't get it, then that person or whatever just needs to be dropped off at the waste bins because I deserve to be surrounded by the people that understand me, love me and care for me. And I believe the same thing with your job as well. If your job makes you miserable, find something else. Somebody is hiring somewhere. Don't just do it for the money. Do it because either you love the management or you love the company or something like that. And that's where all of my self-love comes from. I make sure that whatever I put myself into, I love it. Because if I don't love it, I'm going to hate it. And if I hate it, I'm going to hate myself. And that's my biggest thing. And that's what I still work on to this day is... If I don't like something, I get rid of it. Like, I don't care anymore. Oh, it has sentimental value. Sorry about it. I mean, I did that with all of my Jeffree Star stuff. I used to be a gigantic... Uh, I had every single eyeshadow palette that Jeffree Star had ever created. But the moment that he said that he didn't care that a teenager almost committed suicide, I sold all of it. I sold every bit of it because I was like, you are garbage if you believe that. Like, how dare you think that a teenager committing suicide is not that big of a deal to to fund your bank account. I was like, 
as much as I love that stuff and and those eyeshadow palettes that came from my mother as birthday gifts or my ex-husband as a gift, like they came from so many places of love, but the person behind it didn't show love. So how can yeah. I love something that is built on hatred? Like I can't. And so I sold all of it. I sold every bit of it and I sold it dirt cheap. And I was just like, just take it all. I just don't want it in my house. I don't want it around me anymore. So, um, and that's kind of where my mindset is in life. It's like, I don't care how much I invest in someone. I don't care if I've spent 30 years being your best friend. If you're garbage, I have to get rid of you because the only thing you're doing is causing me to be the person I don't want to be. And I refuse to be that. Yeah. I love that. I love that you brought up. I want to go a little bit into your, I don't want to go like too crazy because I did, I just told in the story like crazy, but you mentioned your mom and you that broke her learning how to walk again and all of that. Um, how, like, how was that for you? Because that, like you said, that was like the kind of a pyramid point to you and learn self-love and being okay, this woman is like, I have to, I have to be more loving to myself and be more to myself and can you talk a little bit more about, um, like, that period, like, that close, how many, your mom had one stroke or a couple strokes? Uh, so the way that, actually the way that happened was really freaky, um, my mom had called me. Now, mind you, my mom is a nurse's assistant, so she she knows the signs of certain things. Yeah. Um, and she was still working at the time. She was working at a nursing home, uh, flipping 300-pound patients into beds. You know, that's what she was still doing at her age in her late, uh, her late 50s. Um, yeah. yeah, so she's taking care of people younger than her. Um, so she called me and she said, hey... I'm not feeling too good. Can you take me to the ER? I just want to kind of get checked out. And I was like, yeah, of course. So I'm thinking, oh, she's got a sinus infection or she's got a really bad headache or it's something simple. But when she was walking out to my car, my my soon-to-be ex-husband looked at me and went, she doesn't look good. Like, your mom doesn't walk like that. And I was like, yeah, she does look a little bit strange. Um, but we got her in the car and we got her to the ER. Um, they did a couple tests and they're like, I think she's just really dehydrated. And I was like, well, she probably is just drinking too much coffee, coffee and eating ramen, so she's probably not drinking actual water. Um, so got her home, and I said, are you okay? She said, I think I'm fine. Um, and she started to really feel bad the next day again. And I'm like, this is not like her. She doesn't get sick. Like, this woman never catches anything. So I took her back to the ER, and then, of course, I got a little bit uppity. I was like, look, something is wrong. She's broken. There's something here that needs to be fixed. Um, so they said, well, we're going to take her for a couple scans, and but we're going to keep her overnight to watch her. And I was like, okay, well, then I'm going to go home and get some stuff together so I can stay the night with her. Um, so I rushed home. I got the stuff together, and I got the phone call from my sister saying, tell Josh not to panic. Mom has had two strokes. That's what's wrong. And I'm standing there, and I don't know what to do. I'm completely lost, because this woman has been such a rock my entire life. So for oh. her to, I think she's dehydrated. You know, I think that it's something simple, and they're like, oh, no, she's had two strokes. And it's like, whoa, like, how did, when, I, I, and I thought it was happening at that time. 
So I'm like trying to get my clothes together and I'm crying my eyes out. And my ex-husband was so good with me. He stopped me and he held me and he said, you have to be strong because right now she's going to fall apart. So it's your job to be strong and I'll hold you up. And I was like, okay, okay, I got this. I can do this. And I got there and my mother is, she's 98 pounds. She's 5'3". You know, she's, she's the tiniest woman in the entire world. And for my mother to look up at me and cry was the worst moment of my entire life. Um, and I said, whatever's going to happen, we're going to figure it out. We're going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. I don't know what I got to do, but I'll fix it. So uh, they kept her in the hospital for a couple of days and me and my ex switched shifts. So, like I would go home and work because I worked from home and he would stay with my mom and we would just switch. So she was never by herself. And they finally said that what had happened was on her, I think it was her right side, her, her artery had, was 100% blocked. So it wasn't getting any blood flow to the brain. So the other artery was pumping so much. Um, they said they could never get that cleared out. But her left side was only, I think they said 60 or 70% blocked. So they could remove all the plaque out of there. And then she would start to get blood flow again. And she would start to get back to normal. So we, we were prepared for this to be a long drop. Um, they took her. They did the surgery. They wouldn't let me stay that night with her. Um, because she, they had to close off those areas just for safety reasons. Um, cause this was right before, this was literally right before COVID. Um, so I, uh, was, I would, the hospital was right down the road, so I didn't sleep. I just stayed up all night playing on my phone, just being like, okay, visiting hours are at nine o'clock. All I have to do is I just have to wait till nine. Like it's only nine hours awake. I, I can stay awake. I got this. Um, and then they said I could bring her home. And I brought her home, and it was so hard because she was afraid to touch her neck because she thought that the artery would reopen, and she was scared constantly. And if I walked out of the room, she would cry. Like, it was this flip of this woman who had been this, I don't need no man, I got this, to this child. I mean, she literally turned into a child again. Like, if I, if she was asleep, I would try to walk out like literally walk into the other room to make something to eat. And I would hear her jump up and I would hear her cane get across the room and she'd slam open the door and go, where did you go? And I was like, I was just going to get something to eat. I didn't want to wake you. Like it was a lot of having to come to grips with that again. Um, so we had a hard time with that. Did I lose you again? Hold on. Okay. Um, there it goes. Uh, so there was a lot of going through that that was extremely hard. Um, but the more I, we would take walks, like, um, in our living room, there was this big circle that she could make. So each day we'd make a circle. And then the next day she'd make a bigger circle. And then she's like, can we go outside? And I'm like, oh, let's go outside. Yes, let's go outside. So we'd walk around outside. And then to get her over being scared of being alone, there was a lot of having to have her walk out, uh, like, have her stay with my sister uh, for, like, three hours by herself, and then I'd go pick her up. And there was just try to stay a little bit longer, a little bit longer. And we're almost on, we're a little bit past a year since she had her strokes. And my mother took a trip to Kentucky with my aunts not too long ago. And it was so, I think that was, uh, you know, honestly, I think that was the biggest moment of, 
wow, this woman who literally couldn't even walk to the bathroom without holding my hand just traveled all the way to Kentucky with my aunts without me having to be there. If this woman can go from not being able to have a walk in a straight line to traveling all the way to Kentucky with my aunts, then I deserve to live my life to the fullest. It's time for me to take care of myself. And when I told my mom that, she agreed with me. She was like, you know, you've taken care of everybody your entire life. She's like, you've always been this, let me fix this person. You do it with every single person you date. You do it with every friendship you have. It's time for you to get rid of those people and start over. And I literally did a clean in my life. I wiped out people that I don't, I felt like were sponging off of me. Um, I got rid of those people and I felt better. And then divorcing or in the midst of getting this divorce, it wasn't that he was a terrible husband. And I try to explain that to people. He's, he was a great husband, as you can tell. He was great. We just didn't connect on that level. It was more of a really great friendship. And I don't want to, and I told him this, I was like, I don't want to go six years down the road and look at you and go, I hate you now because you didn't let me do the things I wanted to do that you held me back because I'm not a monogamous person. I've never been very good at monogamy. Um, And he is wanting the perfect husband. He wants the husband, the fence yard. He wants kids. And that's just not who I am. And as much as I, I have tried to melt myself into that pot for him, it wasn't fair to continue to do that for him because no. he's such a good man and anybody, and we are taking applications. I'm just kidding. Um, any man, any man who would get lucky to stand in his presence. Oh, any guy he goes on a date with, I'm going to scrutinize the hell out of because he deserves to have the perfect husband because he was the perfect husband for me if I needed a husband. And that's what I had to realize is, even though, and who knows? And this is what I told him. I said, it could be 30 years down the road. We could still be friends. And I look at you and go, hey, you want to get back together? And let's have that discussion, you know? Um, but it's just not right for right now. I've never been an adult. Like, I I immediately went from one relationship to another and uh, took care of everybody. And it's time for me to take care of me and be me. And that's what's exciting right now in my life. It was so funny because when I came in, when we first started talking about doing this interview... I was like, okay, cool. This is just going to be an interview. No big deal. And then as stuff has happened over this last month, I'm like, wow, this interview is going to completely change from where I was going at it with. I was like, oh, I'm just going to talk about what happened in my past and just be like, oh, yeah, I'm in love and I'm happy. But now it's just like I'm single and I'm happy and life is great. I mean, I have a boyfriend, but it's not, you know, but it's it's a good life. And I'm so excited for like the biggest love me moment was yesterday, actually. That's why I couldn't record yesterday because my best friend in the entire world, I've known her since I was 14. She's been through all the suicide attempts. She has been there through every relationship falling apart. And she was bugging the crap out of me because she lives an hour and a half away. And she was like, look, I want to spend time with you. I'm tired of not seeing you. I'm tired of doing video chats. I want to see you in person. So I cashed out my PTO and I drove all the way up there and we went around her home. We went around the town that she lives in, and she made me pot roast. And we just hung out, and we just felt like those fourteen-year-olds again, who just sit in the room. They're not watching TV. They're on their phones or whatever they're doing, and they're not paying attention to anything. They just exist Aww. together. 
And it was like when I went to leave, I didn't want to go because I was like, this is my this is my person. This is the person who has always known me more than anybody else in the world. Like she can read my mind and she knows what I'm going through. And yesterday was that big, the biggest like, man, I love me and I deserve everything in the world. And it was so great to spend the time with her because she reminds me of, she's the one that yelled at me. She's the one that was like, you tried to take my best friend. Funny, quick story. So when the, my second suicide attempt, we were, like I said, we were really close. And um, we were hanging, I was handcuffed to the bed rail. Um, and I wasn't allowed to have visitors. They were like, no visitors, no visitors. So all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, all I, or first what I heard was, Joshua, Joshua. And I'm like, who's screaming my name? And then all of a sudden, I see a flash of a person go by. And I'm like, what is happening? And then I see two security guards and a nurse running after somebody. And I was like, what is happening here? And all I'm hearing is, I just need to find Josh. I need two minutes. I just need my best friend. And my mom goes, I think that's Amy. And I was like, what? And all of a sudden, my mom walks out and goes, oh, she's with us. She can come in for just a few minutes. And then she comes around the corner, and she's got tears in her eyes. And she reaches over and she hugs me and she's just like, you are the meanest person in the entire world and I hate you, but I love you. She's like, because I'm so mad at you. And that's when she said, you try to take my best friend away from me. How dare you? And I didn't know how to respond to it. And then security was like, ma'am, you have to leave. And she's like, I will go when I'm ready. And then he looked at her and she's like, yeah, I, I am underage. I am going to go. And she just kind of wandered out. But it was, it was very much that moment of her and she's always been there we've had fights and we'll disappear a little bit because we live two different lives you know i like to go out and do stuff and be a part of the world as much as i can be and she's she's got two kids and she's got a great husband and she's living the opposite dream that i'm dreaming so we don't connect in that but we connect on such a level that is that it's stupid like when we're together there's these really terrible jokes that we tell each other and her kids look so confused, and so do her husband, because they're like, I don't get what you're doing. And we're like, this is what we've always done. Like, just like yesterday, we just drove around to random stores and looked around, and then was just like, okay, we're going home. Like, it was just it was just us, just being best friends. And she's, she's, the, she's if I had to say, she, one of the people outside my family is the reason that I live. She's it. Like, she is my reason for everything, because... If I left her behind, I don't know how she would function. And you shouldn't live for other people. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is she is my reminder constantly that there is someone out there that needs me constantly. And she's my best friend. And she does need me. And she lets me know all the time. She'll randomly text me. She's like, I miss you. I love you. And I need you in my life. And that's all she'll send me. She won't send me anything else for the rest of the day. But she'll send me something simple like that. And it's that moment of, then you should be doing that with your friends. You know, even if you don't talk to someone, if you truly love someone and you're like, this is my best friend, you don't have to have a long conversation. You can send a, a simple text that says, hey, I love you. You're important to me. Just wanted to let you know. Drop it at that. You don't have to go on with the conversation. You don't have to do anything else. Just let them know that you're there because in that moment, you could be out having fun, doing whatever you're doing, but they could be sitting at home with a knife against their wrist. So that's the moments that you have to remember just because you're doing something doesn't mean that phone call that you just got and you missed isn't something you should have answered. So yeah. 
if you know your friend's in trouble, answer every phone call, answer every text message, because you don't know what's going on in that moment. They could literally be sitting there ready to do something unspeakable. Uh, I, um, uh, I, I understand. I, 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 I really, everybody, the It corrected itself. You're good. heard these stories of people going well you know this happened and it completely changed me but it had nothing to do with me like i've heard that story a thousand times like oh you know i went into care of a friend when they were sick and it completely changed me and i've never understood that i always thought it was like um just people being like oh look at me i got a gum god complex like that's what i always thought it was but literally doing that with my mom was that eye-opening moment because i one, I'm not a very emotional person. I think that comes from trauma. 
Um, I keep it inside, and I just don't express it. When my mom had her strokes, I cried so much. Like, anything would make me cry. Somebody could w be walking past, and they kiss their lover, and I'm like, uh... Like, everything was messing me up. Um, and it was a it was a very big moment for me to... You know, and you're right, like, after she was better, and after everything was done, and it's the leaving the nest syndrome, like, once she was out doing her own thing and she was fine, it, I sat down, and it took a minute for me to put that energy towards myself, and I went, oh, my God, what are you doing? Like, what is wrong with you? Like, you are allowing yourself to be in a marriage where you're really not happy. You're, you're still hanging out with people just because... You want to keep those numbers of friends high, so you always have plenty of friends. And it's like, but who does that benefit? Like, you don't care about these people. Let's be real. At the end of the day, you don't care. You've just had these friends that just complain to you about their lives, and you listen to make them feel better because you thought that's what you were supposed to do. Um, and that's kind of, that was my aha moment was seeing her when she went to Kentucky and I, and yes, I tracked her phone. So I tracked her all the way up there just being like, Oh my God, is she there yet? I'm her parent and I'm like, Oh God. Um, <laughs> so when she left, it was like, I sat down and really evaluated myself and I was just like, you know, she's doing such amazing things. And for most people, it's like, Oh, you went from Tennessee to Kentucky. And it's like, but for her to do that was like, her walking to Canada in my mind. Yeah. Like, it was like, that strong woman is officially back and no one can stop her. And then I'm like, that blood runs in me. Like, I'm strong. I'm a fighter. Yeah. I've been through a lot. Look at all the things I've been through. And then I was like, wait a second. Why are you living like this? And then I got mad at myself. Because I was like, why are you allowing yourself to live in this I'm not good enough. You, I'm never going to be good enough for anybody scenario. Oh, I'm with this person because they chose me and I should just be grateful instead of being like, no, I get to pick this time. I get to pick who I want to be with. And like I said, not a bad husband or anything, but just like the guy I'm dating now, I have never had somebody care and love for me the way that this guy does. He 100% like... He's sad right now because I'm doing this interview. He can't talk to me while he's on his lunch. Um, but it, it's that moment of pure love that I've learned. And he keeps me level. He doesn't allow me to get too upset. He's just like, he'll change the subject. If I start to get emotional, he's like, oops, switch subjects. Let's move into a different area. He doesn't pat me on the back and go, oh, it's going to be okay. I can do that. I know how to do that. I just need you to change my mind. Like, I need you to be like, distract me. Like, oh, look, there's a bird. And it's like, okay. Like, that's what I need in life at this point. Yeah. Ooh, shiny quarter. Um, like, that's what I need in life. And that's what he provides for me. Do I think that this relationship could be forever? I don't know. Do I care if it lasts forever? I would love it too. But if it doesn't, I am worthy of whoever comes along after this. And I have to learn that. And I have to teach people to learn that as well. And that's, that's what I've learned from all of this. And yeah, it's taken me a long time to trek up this road, but it doesn't matter your age or where you're at. You need to know what you want and everything else falls to the back burner. If you're in a job that you absolutely hate, find something else. If you're in a relationship where you want somebody that will pinch your butt and this person isn't doing it and you told them a thousand times when you walk past, pinch my butt and they're still not doing it, leave that relationship. 
it's not healthy anymore. A healthy relationship is someone who understands and loves you for all of your faults that you can talk about every little thing to. And if you feel like, if you're ever sitting on the couch and you look at your partner and you go, I can't tell them that, that relationship has to end immediately. Because if you look at your partner and you can't have a, a conversation about, even if you're like, I like to sniff broccoli, and you're like, ooh, I can't tell them that because they think that's weird. If you can't tell your partner that, you can't tell anybody that. And if you can't tell your partner that, that's not your partner anymore. That's just your roommate or your friend. And that's how, that's my mindset that I went into life it, is I don't have to agree with you on every level, on your political beliefs, your religious beliefs, or anything like that. But if I look at you and I'm too scared to tell you what I'm thinking, this isn't a relationship. This is just a surviving together. And that's not the way we should do this. So. Oh, I just love that. So, you, you were in the midst of another divorce and you're in the middle of this with a How did you, how did you enter this person? Like, did you seem like a whole movie? Like, you seem like your, like your confidence level, everything, who you're bringing, who you're feeling, who you're feeling, is different than the body. You are only, um, who you are and You know, my best friend Amy said it best yesterday, and I, I wanted to bring it to this conversation. She said, when you're looking for love and when you're looking for a relationship, you're going to find one, but it's not going to be what you need. When that right person comes along, you won't be looking for them. When that right person steps into your doorway, it's not going to be the person that you expect or the person that you're looking for. And... For me, that rings so clear. So what it was is I went out with a bunch of friends one night uh, after I had announced that I was getting a divorce. They were like, hey, let's go out and do karaoke. And I was like, I don't sing, but I'll go with you. Um, <laughs> went to the bar and uh, I'd seen this guy before I knew of him. You know, I thought he was really cute. I knew a little bit about him, but not a lot. Um and I kind of just kept staring at him. And I was like, wow, he's really cute. Like, I would, I would totally date someone like that. But he was, in my mind, at such a high level that I could never get with someone like that. Um, so I didn't pursue him. But then he was pursuing me the entire time. And I was going, oh, I've never been pursued before. Like, I'm always the pursuer. So this is totally different. Um, and then he, we exchanged phone numbers and we talked and we talked and we would spend six hours on the phone at night. We would just like talk nonstop. And I was like, Hey, do you want to go on an official date? You know, we can still go back to the bar just where we went to before. And it was funny because the demeanor had changed because the first time was just like, Oh, we're hanging out. But then when I walked in the door, he put his arm around me and he kissed me and we were cuddling and it was just like, we're in a straight bar and this is happening and I'm panicking mentally because I'm going, oh my God, we're going to get beat up. We're going to get, I'm going to have my tires slashed. Like I'm going to be yeah. hung from a cross. Like, I don't know what's about to happen. Um, and I kept telling him it made me nervous. He said, I have been at this bar for so long. They know me. I've brought dates here. It's really not a big deal. Just relax and take a deep breath. Um, and when I say that he was kissing me, he was kissing me on the cheek and then he would whisper something in my ear like, you know, I really like that jacket on you, or 
I think we froze again. Can you still hear me? There we go. There we go. What was the last thing you heard? Um. Uh, oh yeah, so I'll just start. So I was really nervous about the fact that uh, we were sitting there and he was putting his arm around me and he was kissing me on the cheek. I was freaking out because I'm like, we're in a straight bar and he's like, I bring dates here all the time. It's it's really not a big deal. And I was like, okay. Um, but he was so like intimate and stuff and I, I had not experienced that before. Because most of the guys that I would date are very masculine and you wouldn't know that they were gay and that was kind of who I was with um, and to have this guy be like Ooh, I'm gay and run around and everybody knows he's a homosexual like it was just it was very like it was appealing but it kind of freaked me out because I was always raised you know keep that stuff in the bedroom um, and then we went out on a date well we went back I dropped him off at home and right before I dropped him off I was like okay, that was a good date, I'm going to go home now, and as I turned around, he grabbed me and kissed me. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, I guess, I'm down for this, you know, and he's a really good kisser, so I was like, okay, great. And then um, he, we, he called me while I drove home, because it's an hour drive from where he lives, and he said, uh, could I come stay with you tomorrow night, like stay at your place? And I was like, well, you know, my ex-husband lives here, and he's like, yeah, that's fine. I was like, well, he'll be at work, so no big deal. So he came over and he stayed the night, and it was this, it was this great third date, I guess you would technically call it, because it was, we sat around and we played video games, and we talked, and we cuddled, and it was just that moment of, aha, this is it, this is what I wanted, this is everything, and it's somebody who needs me but needs me in more of a loving fashion than someone who needs me financially or needs me as their arm candy or something like that, which I'm not saying I'm arm candy, but that's how I was treated. Um, but, <laughs> but for him, it, it's very much, he just, he, and he's told me he loves me and I've told him I love him because we kind of fallen really quick, which I'm not used to. But there's this weird connection that I don't understand, and it freaks me out, because I'm like, oh, I'm ready to be single. But even though he's my boyfriend, he said, you know, I know you have a lot of exploring to do, so if you need to go hook up with someone, go do it. Like, if that's something you need to do to get it out of your system, go for it. I don't mind. And I was like, thanks for being understanding. Yeah. And, like, that's super cool. Like, most people aren't like that. Um. And he's just been that way this entire time. Like, it's like, he understands where I'm coming from, and he loves me for all of my weirdness and doesn't want me to tone it down or be like, oh, that's embarrassing or anything like that. Like, he just, and all of his friends like me, my mom, who I thought was going to hate him. Like, I was like, oh, God. Because my mom's very much like, like I said, she doesn't like flamboyant gay men. You know, she's used to what I'm dating. And she loves my ex-husband. Like, he calls her mom and she calls him son. So... I thought bringing this guy over the other night, she was going to be like, oh, I'm not going to deal with this. And she was really nice to him. And I took her out yesterday uh, in the morning because she hasn't had dentures, new dentures in 10 years. So I was able to take her to go get a fitting for that. So that was fun. 
Um, did we freeze again? You're gonna have so much editing on this. I think we froze again. Okay, there we go. <laughs> uh, dentures, yes. So I took mom yesterday uh, in the morning before I went out with my friend, Amy. Uh, I took her to go get dentures because she hadn't had dentures in 10 years. Um, new ones, anyways. Um, so we were sitting there and I was talking about, uh, I call him DK, but his name's Daniel. But I call him DK because my boss's name is Daniel. And for me, that's weird. So I was like, I'm like, guess who's getting a nickname? Um, so I was talking about him and my mom looked at me and she's like, he is so cute. And I was like, what? I'm sorry, what? And she's like, I think he is so cute. I think he is so adorable. And I'm like, wait a second, what's happening here? Like, I thought you were going to be like, don't rush into it. Don't do this, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no, I think he's cute. I think he's cute. I think he's sweet. I don't know a lot about him other than what you told me, but. I can tell that he really likes you because the way that he was like not interrupting or not trying to impress me or any of that, he was just existing in your world. And I was like, yeah, like that's what he does. Like he just wants to be a part of my life. And, you know, I'll be on the phone with my best friend, Amy, and he'll beep in. And my best friend, Amy's like, oh, just merge him in. We'll just all three talk together. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I'll merge the call and all three of us have a conversation. So it's like, he wants to be such a big part of my life, and most people are limited on that. Um, so for him to be so loving and caring, to be like, I want to be a part of your everything. Like, I just want to be a part of everything that you exist in. It's such a big deal. Just like this coming Sunday, he's going to sit here while we record the podcast, because he wants to see what it's like. You know, for someone to reach outside of that box and want to be so involved with me, and I don't like the word worship because it goes back to Christianity and all religion and stuff. But to have somebody that that's like that, that worships the ground I walk on, that's like, I don't know why you like me. And I'm like, wait, can we go back a second? Because I feel that way about you. Like, why are you so interested in me? And it's so funny because my, my soon-to-be ex-husband, I was so doubting the fact of me and him dating, which, fun facts. He's the one that pushed me to tell uh, to ask him to be my boyfriend, which is really funny, by the way, for my ex-husband to be like, oh, yeah, you should ask me to be your boyfriend. You should definitely do that. And I'm like, why are you push? OK, OK, that's cool. I wasn't expecting you to be that cool about it. But um, but he saw how he made me feel. Um, And he even said he's like, you know. This guy, I was never good enough for you. He's like, I was never going to be what you needed. And I always knew that deep down. He's like, because I've always thought you were too good for me. And I'm going, what? Like, do I leave that mark on so many people? Like, fun fact, the guy that I told you broke up with me that I got suicidal over and I ended up in the hospital. Well, he yeah. broke up with me while I was in the hospital bed. He called my mom's cell phone and told me he couldn't do this anymore and broke up with me. After I had attempted suicide. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But do you know what the best part about that was? 
about two months ago, he reached out to me and said, hey, what I did to you was the worst thing in the entire world. He's like, I was wrong for that, and I bet you blame yourself. And I said, I need you to call me. I said, I want to just talk. I just want to talk. And when he called me at first, I was going to just blast him. I was going to call him every name in the book because I finally... 13 years. I waited 13 years for this moment. Yeah. I was like, I am ready to destroy this man. I'm so prepared. And then when he got on the phone, I could actually tell that he felt bad. I could tell that he felt so... He had carried around all this guilt for all these years. So all I could do was go, oh, you ruined this for me. I was so ready to destroy you. Like, what? Um, but I got on the phone and I was like, you know what? I forgive you. And he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, I forgive you. And he's like, why? And I was like, because I deserve it. I said, I deserve to let go of you. Let go of that moment that has stuck in my head for all these years. You know what? You're 100% correct. You were in the wrong. I never should have blamed myself for what you put me through. And he was just like, you're, you're right. I was the one who was messed up. I didn't know if I wanted to be with men or women. I still don't know. He's like, but that's not on you, and I shouldn't have put that on your plate. And I was like, well, thank you. I was like, and I forgive you. And he's like, I never thought I'd hear you say that. He's like, I was fully prepared to be called names that were in different languages that I would never understand. And I was like, <laughs> you deserve it, but no. I said, no, I forgive you. Yeah. Yeah. Stop talking so I don't yell at you. Um. But I told him I was like at the end of the at the end of the call I was like you know what if you need me you can call and text me I'm always going to be here and I was like and you know what I still love you I will always love you that'll never I am 100 percent in the belief that once you say you love someone you can't take that back that's not something that you can reverse and people's like oh I hate my ex husband. I don't, the one, the ex-husband that did all the crap to me, I still don't hate him. I still love him. Do I want him in my life? No. Do I want him around me? No. But do I still love him? Yes, I'll always love him. And if he ever showed up on my doorstep and he didn't have food and he hadn't had a shower, I would gladly feed him. I mean, there may be a slight bit of poison in it that'll make him sick, but I'd still feed him. I'd still feed him just a little bit. <laughs> There we go. All right. Uh, yeah. What was the last thing you heard? Um, you invited me in, and there might be a slight bit of... Slight bit of poison, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the only reason that I, I make that joke is just because, in the back of my mind, yes, I do have anger towards him, but the anger should honestly be placed on myself for the majority of it, and here's why. I was the one who could see the signs and I knew what was going on, but I refused to look into it because I didn't want to know the answer. I didn't want to take that risk of knowing that I had been manipulated so far. I mean, it's okay, it's just like when the police show up, for example. 
it's just like when the police show up to someone's house and they're just like, oh, we think your husband's a murderer. And the woman's in full denial. She's like, no, 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 my husband would never kill people. He would never be that way. But in the back of her head, later on, she will admit, yeah, I knew he was a murderer. I knew he was a bad person. And the reason that we do that is we don't want to believe the person that we've dedicated ourselves to, the person that we hold to this high God standard is just as human or even worse than what we believe. And we just constantly go through that. And if you have a partner that you think is cheating, most likely you could be correct. Either it's from trauma from your past or... I mean, you could be right. I mean, the thing that I've always said is you have to realize that the world gives you signs nonstop. And it constantly does that. The world revolves around giving you clues. And if you think something's happening, confront your person about it. Because if you don't, you're going to end up in bad situations. You're going to be like I was in an eight-year relationship three or four, I think we were three or four years married, to a person who is literally manipulating you because of the fact that they want something from you. He wanted me around because I could cook, and I had good credit, and I worked so hard to take care of him. He wanted someone to manipulate, and that's what he got. And that's why I wanted to come on this podcast, is because you were all like, oh, I want people to hear your story, because I want people to recognize what's out there and see the things that they go through and hopefully you can help somebody and that's my biggest thing is I just want to be I've been through a lot so take some nuggets of what I've went through and put it towards your own life because I don't want to see anybody go through the things that I've went through I don't want my worst enemy to go through half the stuff I've went through because when you're manipulated so deep that you literally can't see the sun, that's a problem. And I lost so many great people in my life because I put him on this pedestal of thinking he was this god and ushering people out of my life going, oh, you're not good enough, you're not good enough to be around me, I don't want you around anymore, that I ended up losing some great friends and they still won't take me back. And I don't blame them. I mean, I ignored people to be around him because he didn't want to go out because he was embarrassed of being on a cane. And honestly, this is the first time I've openly talked about his manipulation. I don't even talk about it on my own podcast because I just don't, I've never felt okay with telling my story when it comes to what he did because I've always been afraid of people being like, but how did you let yourself be manipulated? And it's like, I don't know. Because I'm the first person to call somebody out on their BS. I'm the first person to go, come on, you're being stupid. But with him, there was this, he's the best guy in the world. Oh, you're so lucky. Like, that's what people kept telling me. Oh, he's so handsome. He's so funny. And then when the marriage ended, everybody was just like, oh, no, he was a jackass. And I'm like, what? Why are you telling me this now? Like, you could have told me this years ago. And you should be. Even if it hurts your friendship, and that's one last thing I want to say, even if it hurts your friendship, or you think it could hurt your friendship, if they are with somebody, and you know that person is a bad person, say something. Better your friendship in than this person go years down the road with somebody who's going to treat them like garbage. You know, do what you need to do, but at the same time, if your friend comes to you and says, hey, I think your boyfriend's an asshole, 
you may want to look at something different because you've got these goggles on of this person's so great, he's so perfect, blah, 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 blah. Your friend's going into it with a different mindset. We froze again. There we go. But your your friend's going at it from a totally different angle. Yeah. Come on, Zoom. There we go. Yeah, no, for sure. Like, when you have, when you're in a relationship and, and when you have those goggles on, you definitely view somebody as, as a certain way. And I always like, like you said, first off, I want to say, um, I appreciate you opening up and, and speaking about the, the manipulation and your story and I feel honored and blessed that you felt comfortable enough to share that with me. Um, I don't ever want you to feel the, the, the feeling of how can you let somebody do that? Because it's like all the ways are all advice. Like, we're just the best at giving advice and something's happening to our friends, but we're like the very last to take it. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. And, yeah. And that is that exact situation. Like you said, you saw it. But there was part of you that was very afraid of what the question I do. You were to actually discover it. You were to actually open it up. You were like, ooh, I thought I'd just see it and notice it. Start to try when I can. Then actually open it and maybe get you through or real or maybe hurt me more than what I'm already hurt now. It's how do we deal with this thing instead of me getting hurt more? It's so more than just somebody letting somebody do something. Brought deeper than that. I'm so happy that you did um, allow yourself to, to grow through that. And love yourself through that, and see yourself through the different dreams of your mom and her strength, and your partner that you've been with, and the love that they give you. And most importantly, the things like bonus that you can give yourself, and the huge factors that you look like You're taking ownership for even the part of the story that you might not like. That you put yourself, you're only it, and that is you. That is allowing you to start your story the way that you want to get going on, and that's what it sounds like you're doing. You're saying, "Hey, I, I think only that everything is that." One of the things that I, I didn't, I don't like the fact that I kept myself for as long as I did. Even the things that I allowed myself to manipulate my own. And I gave myself to do, and the way that I felt. Some days you're allowing yourself 
for yourself, to know loving yourself, allowing you to help you walk. And I just want you to know that I feel that, and I'm, I'm sending you love, and I'm feeling very happy for you that you're allowing that emotion and that feeling to immerse in your heart and in your soul and then emulate the numbers. Beautiful. Beautiful. And um, I just want to say thank you. Um, again, hearing your story, being so vulnerable for opening up and just connecting with my listeners are definitely, definitely, if anybody has been in any sort of um, trauma, they're going to connect in some sort of way. Um, your, your story is a beautiful story as much as it's full of drama. Um, the way that you are to be bring forth and own it. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, not a problem. And I, I do want to do a quick plug here, and I hope you don't mind. Um, yes, but. Yes. I, I'm I'm all about like if you need to reach out and you need to talk or you want to know more about my story, um, you can always visit our podcast website, which is thewardcasterfiles.com. There's a little section where you can send an email, um, and you can send me stuff. If you want the full story of the whole FBI situation, I actually did cover that on one of our cases. Um, I don't remember which one it is, so you'll have to go through and look on our website, but. Yeah, feel free to reach out. And if you're ever one of those people that's just having a hard time or, you know, if you're part of LGBT and you're you're struggling, feel free to reach out to me through our website, thewardcasterfiles.com. Feel free to reach out because the thing is, I don't mind having conversations like this in private. If you're struggling with your marriage or something, I can give you any advice that I have. I'm not a psychologist. I don't know everything, but... I mean, if you're getting anything from this story and you need help, please reach out. And I'm happy to be that ear for you as well. You know, I want to help anybody that needs help because we can't get through life by ourselves. And we can sit here and pretend that we can. But if that was the case, you wouldn't be able to go to the store because you're not the one making the food. You're not the one, you know, putting it in boxes and all that stuff. As a world, we have to work together. And if we don't, we will deteriorate. Like, there's nothing that we can do. Like, we have to work together. Um, so I'm a big advocate on, you know, self-love and everybody being together and trying to make things work. We may not agree on the same things, but it's our job as people to try our best to love one another. And that's why I wanted to come on your podcast. I listened to a couple episodes, and I can see how you're trying to do the same thing. You want to just put love out there and get love back. And I think that that is a beautiful thing because all day long, all I do is I study true crime where people are murdering each other. So it's a nice thing to get on this microphone and talk about something that has love behind it. And I think that's why your podcast is so interesting as well is because there's so much, like every interview you put so much love into it. And I think that's really cool that you do that. And I think that so many people can learn from your podcast. So that's why I was so honored when you contacted me back. And I was like, oh, yeah, great. I get to work with her. I'm so excited. And then when you were so upset about what was going on with your computer and stuff, I was like, I can wait. I can wait. I don't mind waiting. Like, my story's not going to change that much. I shouldn't have said that because I brought it into existence. But, um, but no, I, I, you guys, if this is your first episode listening, if this is any of my followers, because I'm going to share you on our page and stuff and tell people... 
If this is your first time listening, make sure to check out some of her other episodes because they are absolutely amazing. She's got some great guests that have big ideas and, you know, there's so much love that she puts into this and you can definitely hear it during the podcast. So you guys should definitely check out more episodes for sure. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I just want, I just have, oh, uh, well, well, I just want to make sure, but you know that you gave out the podcast information that you gave out, is that the only place that my listeners or followers can find you, um, give out anything that they can find you at, and then my final question after you give those is, what is your perspective on positivity? On positivity? Yeah, so perspective on positivity. Okay, so you can actually find the Wardcaster files on every platform. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. Um, now, I do co-host with uh, one of my really close friends named Sherry, uh, so if you're wanting to send something directly to me, just make sure to title it with my name. Um, you can r- reach out to us at thewardcasterfiles at gmail.com. I mean, you look at the Wardcaster files, we're everywhere, so you're not going to not be able to find us. Um, and to touch on positivity, I believe that, and I actually just said this to the guy that I'm dating, so I'll touch on that first. He has been going through a situation where he was having housing problems. He was trying to find a new place to live. Um, and he just kept being negative. He just kept being negative. Oh, I'll never find a place. I'll never find a place. Oh my God. And anywhere I live is going to be a dump. Blah, blah, blah. Like he was just being so negative and I went, okay, listen. If you put negative energy out there, that's what you're going to get back. You have to put out positive energy. I said, you have to look at the little things. Oh, I got a new job that pays more money. Okay, yeah, everything else in your life sucks right now, but you're about to make more money. That's your positive outlook. That's what you have to reach towards. Then you move on to something else. In literally the last couple weeks, he has went from working at McDonald's to working at a job making about $6 more an hour, to being prepared to live in his car, to now getting ready on in just a couple, in just about a week, having his own townhouse that he is renting by himself with no one's help because he put forth the effort and he tried so hard. And that's what I tell people. It's, it's really hard to stay positive when you are in the worst situation of your life. But if you do your best, and all you can do is your best, don't take a participation trophy because no one cares. But go out there and try and fight and fight and fight. Because once you do, you will get that prize you've been reaching for. You just have to be patient. You have to give it time. Because positivity runs our world. Whether you want to believe it or not, positivity is the one thing that will get you through anything. Take the negative stuff and put them over in the corner because they don't matter at the top. Look at all the great things you have in your life because those are the things that are going to get you to your next level. And if you dare say that you don't have anything positive in your life, you're listening to a positive podcast right now. This is your positive moment. Move with this because you can. Oh, yes. Love it. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so so much for everything that you do. Thank you for being a voice for people that don't have a voice. Thank you for being just thank you for being you because you honestly like your friends said don't dare ever try to take a best kind of way because you are such a 
right. Like I can feel your energy, like that smile. I just, I just feel it. I can sense it. And ah, thank you so much. I just, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And if you ever want me back and you want to talk some more, I'm totally down. Just let me know when. Oh, of course. I would love that. Thank you. Have an excellent day, and I will see you and we'll chat soon. Okay, will do. Thanks. Whoa. Didn't I tell you guys? Wow, Joshua certainly brought such an inspiring story. His authenticity, his realness, his rawness was such a beautiful, beautiful presence to be in. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you guys did, please let us know by sharing it with a friend, letting us know by personally reaching out to us tagging us in the socials at joshua lancaster at spark plug wellness for ig and for facebook joshua lancaster and candace axford also please rate and review the podcast it truly does help get the value and the stories of my listeners out to more ears and lets me know i am on the right track Thank you once again for taking the time to listen to my podcast. It is now time to go out and do something positive and be positive.